Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to another T2 Hubcast. It's me, Martin Johnson and... Dave Pendleton. Dave. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome to my abode, my Un- hubcast room. Unfamiliar territory. Yeah, absolutely. How are you? All right? I'm good, man. Are you? Good. Good. Tiring week so far. Been to Dusseldorf, doing some leadership stuff, which was exciting. It was good. Um, so, yeah, the T2 juggernaut rolls on. Indeed it does. So, Dave, you got me into the hubcast room, actually, today. You <laughs> said, Martin, let's go and record a hubcast. I've got a few ideas. I, I want to get something off my chest around sales. So I said, what? And you said, it's about sales. It's not all about you. (laughs) And I thought you were talking to me at first. (laughs) And then I quickly realized you meant... There was a look on your face. Yeah. (laughs) And I instantly thought, yes, it is all about me, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. You know me by now, right? But um, what you meant there is sales or salespeople, it's not all about you. Yes. So let me just bring you in instantly. What do you mean by that? Well, I guess I guess it's the the, the culmination of a, a, you know quite a lot of years of being involved in sales training and sales consultancy and observing you know lots and lots of salespeople from different environments at different levels and so on and so forth. And I guess coming to the conclusion uh, that there's an awful lot of salespeople out there that do think it's about them, and I don't think it is. Right. And when you say it's about them, what do you mean? Just give me an, an example. Do they talk about themselves too much? Have they got their own agendas? Is it that they're jumping straight into the pitch and the product too early or all of the above? Yeah, I guess all of the above. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, if ever I'm in a situation where I'm looking to buy something and I'm met by a, a sharp suited, sharp haircutted. Um, haircutted. Is that a real word? <laughs> you just uh, made it up. I don't know. It sounds all right. Um, you know, sharp-shoed, uh, quaffed, you know, salesman with a strut, a bit like a, you know, a, a peacock, you know, an ornamental peacock in a country garden somewhere. I will swerve past that guy faster than the my legs can can move me, because I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, and, now and, that- it, and it has done every single time from past experience. And, and is that a sweeping statement? Is it unfair because maybe some people are told to dress like that by their companies? Or, um, or is that just reinforcing the fact that we have these instant biases based on the perception of how people carry themselves, how they dress, you know, et cetera, and the old stigma that comes with the, the uh, you know, the on-the-road salesman um, or saleswoman is that it's a, it's a dapper dressing tie or suit, blouse, whatever it might be, briefcase. Make an I, impact. And I'm going to sell something to yeah, you. So there's a, what you're saying is there might yes. be a stigma that comes with that. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, I guess there maybe is a, a general statement about that, but I think it's a general statement based on quite a few years' experience in observing that kind of thing and that kind of situation. Mm. And certainly, you know, dealing with people like that as well from my own experience. So when you say, so coming back to the point then, when you say it's not all about them or it's not all about you, you're trying to get them to understand that actually your major role or your major objective as a salesperson is to A, make a great impression, but B, flip it on its head and make it all about the customer Mm. from the outset. 
I don't actually know at this point, Mr. Customer or Prospect, if I can help you. However, at the end of this hopeful, at the end of this initial conversation, then there may be an opportunity. But I'm absolutely focused on finding out who you are, what you need, what you might be working on, what you're struggling with, what the opportunity may be, and switch that around completely rather than go in with a preconceived agenda. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I guess you've hit the nail right on the head. Um, for me, a salesperson is nothing more than a problem solver. It's as simple as that. My job is to help you solve problems in your world. And if I can't help you solve problems in your world, I need to back off. Well, let me add one more into that because I love these live debates that we don't really uh, plan, which we don't, no. right? But I used to think, I agree with you. In, it, when I was back in Gartner and we, we got heavily invested in, in, in sales training courses and we got uh, trained in value selling, et cetera. And um, I always used to think as part of a salesperson, your job is to sell your product or service. However, in order to do that, you need to find out a problem the customer is facing and fix that problem. Correct. But then somebody introduced me to actually there's a second string of uh, strand to that. Sometimes you're not helping the customer solve a problem. You may be, or your product or service may be helping them exploit an opportunity, which is not necessarily a problem right now. It's just a missed opportunity we're not currently exploiting, and your product or service can allow me to do that, mm. right? So, but 90% of the time, sure. the need to buy, to your point, comes from the fact that there is an issue that needs to be fixed. Yeah, they're experiencing some kind of pain. Yeah. So just to reiterate a salient point on this Hubcast already for the listeners, Dave's absolutely right. It's not all about you. You need to flip it on its head. Your responsibility, you're a problem solver. 90% of it is what is the customer's pain points or problems that they need to fix and how does my product or service in turn help them achieve that? Or does my if there isn't a problem, does my product or service help them exploit an opportunity that they're not currently taking advantage of? Mm. Okay, so it's interesting. So far. Yeah, so it's an interesting scenario for you, I guess, just to maybe reinforce that that point. Uh, how many salespeople have you come across in your sales life that have a very well rehearsed and very well defined um, sales pitch? Well, do you remember? I said, do you remember back in the day, Dave? It probably, oh, my, it, it my probably day was a little further back than yeah, your day. It was exactly. That's why I'm saying it here. <laughs> but even when I first started out in sales. Right in probably the late nineties, early two thousands, mm. when I when I first started in sales, there was a the first thing you was taught was the elevator pitch. Absolutely, and the elevator pitch concept for people listening who will know is if you can't describe what your company does and the value of your product on ser or service in the elevator from the ground floor to the third floor, then you then you don't know your product well enough. Correct. So the elevator pitch was this opening spiel of hi, my name's Martin. This is who I work for, and this is what we sell. And that was the first thing that was taught to you as a salesperson. You opened up your tra your conversations over the telephone or in meetings with the elevator pitch. Absolutely. And that's what you're what you're coming coming at, isn't it? Sure. If we do that today, mm. it's going to put more people off than engage people, right? It Absolutely. probably did back then, Dave. It probably did. Yeah, yeah, it probably did. But did we know any better? I'm not sure if we did or we didn't. Maybe some people did, but most people didn't. Mm. You know, th I mean, the very fact of um, you know, once the salesperson is fortunate enough or skilled enough to be able to obtain a face-to-face -face meeting, it's always a handshake. Thanks for seeing me. I'm here today to talk to you about X. It's it's a it's a perfectly mm. normal 
opening statement for most salespeople, right? Yeah. Yeah. But just that very statement, I'm here to talk to you about X, proves unequivocally that I'm here to talk to you about what I sell. Yeah. Which is me thinking it's all about me. Now, let me let me not play devil's advocate, but let me put something into the mix. Assuming that there's been a pre-call or an exchange on email prior to the meeting, do you think some salespeople might think, well, we've already established that what we do and there's a need for it. Therefore, I can go straight into the pitch because we've already exchanged communication on email and you've accepted to see me, which means surely I'm here to pitch. Mm. I mean, I've got an answer to that because I think you might know 3% over email or on that initial call, but you still shouldn't fall into the pitch straight away. Even 90% of that initial meeting should be the mission of discovery, right? Mission of discovery being, let me get to the root of what's happening here. Let me find out who's involved. Let me find out who you currently use. Let me find out if you've actually thought of a solution already and what does that look like, right? Let me know. Let me find out what the business outcomes you're trying to achieve as a result of this is, right? So so what you're still saying is, even for people who say, well, I've already done that, Dave, on the pre-call, so I'm going in there to position my product or service, you're still saying no. Hold off. I think you're absolutely right, yeah. 100%, because, I mean, how much dialogue can you share on a couple of scattered phone calls or, or an email, a couple of emails that have bounced backwards and forwards. And do you know what? It generally, the face-to-face meeting, if you're lucky to look enough to, to obtain one, generally won't happen the very next day. What else has happened in that person's world since you last spoken mm. that you maybe need to uncover, discover? Mm. The pain that they were feeling before may have gotten worse or the pain that they were feeling before may have gone away. Mm. So, I, I mean, I call it the 80-20 rule. I, I think in those early exchanges... It's hugely important for the customer to be talking 80% of the time and you to only contribute as and when necessary to a maximum percentage of about 20%. That That's interesting, like that. So as a, as, a, as a gauge in meetings, in sales meetings, if you find yourself talking 80% of the time and the customer's only talking 20, then you're, you're, you're making it more about you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And, and flipped on its head, if the customer is speaking 80% of the time, roughly speaking, you're finding out all sorts of information, stuff that you may not have discovered on, on the earlier calls or the email exchanges. Mm. It's, it's a great way to discover everything that they're willing to tell you about their world, their customer base, uh, and start to explore those pain points, which I guess is another salient point that I want to cover. Because, again, from my experience and even relatively recent experience in delivering sales training here at Trans2 um, with groups of of people who sell face-to-face and on the telephone, just the very concepts that I try and explore with them when we start talking about uncovering pain points in the customer's world literally makes the face turn white and they start to shudder and say, Crikey, why would I want to start start talking to them about things that are causing them pain and headaches? Mm. If, if I'm putting them into a negative mood, surely they're going to switch off and not want to buy anything from me. And I say absolutely not. I think it's completely the contrary. I think you've got to understand what's causing them pain. You've got to understand how you can help to take that pain away. And if you can't help to take that, that pain away right now, then you've got to shake hands, thank them for the time, and they will appreciate that much more than being led down some spurious garden path 
in an effort to try and sell them something rather than maintain a healthy uh, and respectful working relationship that you can revisit later. And and if you're a salesperson listening to this, Dave's right. If there is no th- nothing that's causing them pain right now, because you do get those meetings, remember what we said earlier on the Hubcast. Before you give up and say, right, well, uh, I'll I'll stay in touch and I'll come back to you when you're in trouble, right? <laughs> it's not the classic way you want to leave them in. <laughs> can you help through your product or service potentially? help this customer exploit an opportunity that they're not currently thinking of. And that is not going straight back into a sales pitch. That's about then changing your line of questioning to say, okay, Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect, this clearly isn't a pain point for you right now, or there's no, no true pain point you're experiencing. But what we often find with our customers is they can X, Y, or Z through using our products or services and just open, start asking questions, open up the dialogue around maybe, you know, exploiting an opportunity rather than fixing a pain point if it's not there. But here's an, here's another one I want to say on this, Dave. When you get the extroverted, expressive customer, like let's say when a salesperson comes to see me, they literally at the start do the small talk, we introduce ourselves, and then I instantly go, right, let me just give you a little bit of background where we are today and I'll almost take that effort away from them. So I, I offer it up quite willingly. And I go on a little bit of a spiel, tell them about the company, what we're trying to achieve, what's our challenges. And then I, I hand it over to them. What about the introverted customer or prospect who you really, as a salesperson, have to drive? We've all been in those meetings, Dave, where you go, hi, Dave, how are you doing? Uh, is everything okay? And you go, yep, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, this is going to be a hard one. Mm-hmm. Now, the mistake people make, if you agree, is they get flustered by this. They go, oh, this is a professional sales discussion. Let me go into the pitch. Pitch, pitch, pitch. Whereas if you flip that back on its head, even if it's an introvert who clearly doesn't want to do the small talk and just have a a business meeting, ask bloody questions. Because if you then ask questions, they've got to answer. And if you ask closed questions, they can answer with yes or no. If you ask open questions, they will get talking, right? But your 80-20 rule, what I'm saying there, is still applies even if you are if you have that tough, awkward meeting with an introvert who is not offering a lot up. Start asking open and probing questions. Open and probing questions. And so they're still talking 80% of the time. Would you agree? Because I think what throws people in is when you have a professionally focused introverted customer and we're not getting the dialogue going, we go into the pitch. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're just going to overdrive in terms of selling what we're going to sell because I need to fill the space. Fill I don't like it. these awkward silences, so I'm going to fill the space with something. And it usually comes out as a waffle or a drivel that makes no sense to anybody, really, exactly. particularly the introverted customer who's not saying much. Yeah. So so you're, you're absolutely right in terms of asking questions. I, I mean, uh, again, one of the one of the biggest mysteries to, to lots of salespeople I still come across is having some kind of pre-planned and basic questioning methodology. Mm. So you don't have to fill those empty spaces with blurb and drivel. You can actually ask thought-out, planned questions. Yeah. And, and I guess if you want, th- th- there could be half a dozen pre-planned questions that are designed to get any customer talking about their business. Yeah. And you can have those in your head instead of a well-rehearsed pitch, you know? Yeah. So I always used to, I always like the fact of simplifying the questions. And if you think about it, when we, when we do hiring great talent content, Dave, we talk about the three types of questions you can ask in an mm-hmm. interview, which Absolutely. is, which is uh, behavioral based questions, conceptual based questions and anxiety questions. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I always use the same principle um, in, a, in a slightly different way for sales. There's three types of questions you can ask in a sales meeting, an open question, a probing question, or a closed question. So for example, a closed question is when you're going to get a yes or no answer or one word answer. So if I lead off in a, in a sales meeting, for example, and I say to you, the customer, so then Dave, this year, are you focused on reducing costs? You can go, no. Right. You can you can simply add that's a closed question. I'm asking you a direct question. You can answer yes or no. Right. But if I rewind that, let me ask the same type of question, but as an open question. So then, Dave, tell me what are you working on this year? That's an open question because you now have to tell me the answer. Absolutely. Well, actually, Martin, we're focused on revenue generation. We want to double the size of the organization in the next 12 months. It's aggressive, but we think we can do it. And then a probing question follows an open open question. So you respond with that answer to my open question. I go, really? So how do you think you can do it, Dave? What's on the agenda? What's part of the strategy? What, what things are you going to do to achieve doubling the business this year? That's a probing question. All of a sudden, you're now hitting me with all the juicy information that I can gather to start uncovering how I can uh, help you exploit an opportunity or fix a problem. Does that make sense? So salespeople sometimes use too many closed questions and then wonder why they're, they're not making traction with the conversation. Well, well, equally so, and I, I agree with everything you've said, absolutely. Um, but equally so, it's very tempting once once you get the customer talking to, to keep them talking. So question after question after question after question then starts to feel like an interrogation. Yeah. If you, so there's a danger there. Yeah. So if you ask an open question and then you probe and you get an answer and you probe again and you get an answer and you probe again and you get an answer, there's a danger that you can be overdoing it Absolutely. and not picking up on what the customer is saying yeah. quick enough. Yeah. We so, always have a bit of a rule, you know, a, a general rule, Dave, where I think you can ask an open question and get away with maybe one or two probing and then move on. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you've got to move on in a different direction rather than just going back and forth, back and forth. So, so I guess this is this is one of the um, one of the things that challenges most salespeople I come across. I guess most frequently, and, and you know they're all familiar with asking questions. Of course, they are, but it's usually open and closed. It doesn't go very far, and so on and so forth. So, so you're right in what you say in terms of ask a couple of open questions and maybe ask some kind of probing question, start to uncover something new, um, and and then just throw a different type of question in there. So, so it sounds great. It sounds like you've got a f fantastic plan uh, for the next twelve months, Martin. Um, what are your challenges? Yes. So, so, so you've established through opening and probing questions. You've established the customer's trying to double the business over the next twelve months. They've got a plan of action in place. They're going to focus on X, Y, and Z, and you've uncovered that through your open and probing questions. But then you shift direction to go. Okay, I get that now. I've wrote it down. In, I've written it down in my book. So, what are the challenges that will prevent you from achieving that, Dave? Correct. We're, we're still progressing the conversation, but it's another. It's a second open question, but we've shifted the focus to challenges, not what you focused on. Right? You will then start telling me what your challenges are, and I can probe around the challenges. Correct. So uh, have you thought about how you're going to overcome them? Are you currently using any other providers? Do you have the expertise in-house, right? I can probe around the challenges. So all of a sudden, in, in, in 20 minutes of this meeting, 
I've got what you're trying to achieve and I've probed around it. I've now got your anticipated challenges and I've probed around them. And now I'm starting to think about how our solution fits. I'm not communicating it yet, but I'm starting for the first time to think where our product or service starts to make, you know, to come into play. Well, here. We're starting to think about where we might be able to help solve yes. their problems. Yes. Because as soon as we start talking about talking about challenges, we start understanding where the barriers to those achievements might be. Yeah. And hopefully what we do as a, as a product or service might be able to help them overcome those barriers somewhere. Yeah. But we won't know unless we ask. Yeah. Because it's great knowing about what they're trying to achieve over the next 12 to 24 months. It's great knowing what sort of budgets they've got and so on and so forth. We've got no clue where the challenges are. We've got no clue whether we're going to be able to help or not. And then after the challenges, it might naturally organically go into this area. But you can ask a third open question after you've probed <laughs> a bit saying, who else is involved in this? You know, are you working with the finance director and the finance team on this? Who's Have you got a steering committee? Has there been a, is there a task group? You know, or have you not got that far, right? So we can start looking at the personnel who's involved and who, it, who this project or who this initiative touches internally in the organization. So, yeah, you know, your point is there is open and probing questions is great. Don't ask if any. Don't ever get, get yourself into a situation where you ask a closed question apart from the very end of the meeting where you're asking things like, who's the power, right? Do you have budget, et cetera, whatever it might be. Okay, so that, that that's, that's I, I get that. And I think at what point then, Dave, in your opinion, do we does the salesperson start to turn the conversation as to what we can do for you? Or do you not even go there? Do you let it? No, I'm not even there yet. I, I've still got another layer to go. Yeah. Go on then, go on. So, so once we start to uncover challenges, mm -hmm. Um, you know, we start to uncover what we call the pain points. I think it's really, really important to try and grow that pain and help the customer understand the the size of the challenge or the urgency around solving the problem that the that's going to come off the back of the challenge or whatever it might be. So, so ask a question, something like, so I understand what you said there, Martin, and, and that does sound like a challenge, what do you think would happen if you didn't overcome that challenge? And what this, do you think the knock-on effect would be on the business or the people or the budget or whatever? And, it might be? and this is in sales. This is in the in the value selling methodology that I was taught uh, in my first field sales role. This was called anxiety questions. So although it sounds bad that you're inducing anxiety into a prospect, what you're doing there is you're getting them now to think of the consequence of what it means, the yeah. implication of what it means not to exploit this opportunity or fix this problem or whatever it might be. Because that then in turn, as we we, we talk about step six on our sales work cycle, Dave, yeah. that starts to create the compelling reason to buy. Correct. When I think of the repercussions of not mm. acting upon this. Absolutely. So they are, so, so we're going open and probing on the mission of discovery, open questions, probing questions, open question, probing questions. And when the time's right, Let's just accelerate it a little into an anxiety-based question. What are the potential repercussions of not fixing this or not mm, absolutely. moving on this? Yeah. Another question I love as well is when, when we're dealing with uh, you know, a specific person, uh, I love a question around what part do you play in all of this? Yeah, and I always say things like, um, you know, 
what would success be for you, mean for you personally on this project? Or mm. if you pulled this off or you fix this, what does it mean for you personally? And sometimes they go, well, let's face it, if I deliver this, right, and I deliver it well on time and within budget, my next career move could depend on this. And then all of a sudden you've got the personal driver as well as the, as well as the professional reason. Absolutely. Yeah, what's in it for you? you know, what, would what, happen if, what would happen with you and your role if this failed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk about an anxiety question, right? <laughs> well, like, listen, I can't even talk about that because that's not going to happen. Yeah. Great. New sense of urgency. Yeah. New sense of personal ownership. Yeah, like that. And that allows you to start establishing the personal buy-in from the, the buyer as well as the as the business outcome and the professional reason. Absolutely. Cool. Sure. Anything else? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess just to, to, to sum it up, really, you know, I, I've got a few bullet points that are, that are really important for me about a salesperson. And um, I, I guess, coincidentally, my son is about to go into sales. Yeah. He's about to go into telesales, which I did advise him to do. Yeah. Where he can learn resilience. You know, he can he can learn what it sounds like and feels like to 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 get a no every time. Yeah. Um. And and hopefully I'm going to pass some of this knowledge on to him, which is going to help him. You know, I guess grow in his sales career. Well, there's so, no pressure on you, Dave. But if your son starts a career in uh, telesales and his father is a sales guru stroke trainer, <laughs> and he, and he and he doesn't excel, then the pressure's on both of you on this one, right? Yeah. If, <laughs> if he doesn't succeed, he's moving out. <laughs> Like ASL. Yeah, absolutely. So a few of my last bullet points, really, uh, and I guess these are the, the contrary to, I guess, what we normally observe in salespeople is that, from, for me, a salesperson needs to be really very, very unassuming. We shouldn't ever walk into a meeting or engage with a, a potential prospect and think we know anything about them. Yeah, I, I don't believe in that. Stuff. I mean, I mean, I yeah. There's a difference between preparing and having a few and showing you've prepared or you've taken an interest, and then assumption. I think there's a difference between the two. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong in showing a little bit I that you've, a bit of prep. you've no, looked absolutely. up on LinkedIn, you've read yeah, the company yeah, yeah. website, you know Talk where they operate, and all that kind but of don't overassume anything. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, unassuming for me, and I think discreet is another one. You know, low profile, really. I think a salesperson needs to be the least important person in the room. Mm. The customer is the most important person in the room right now. So discreet, genuine is another thing. Yeah, Genuinely interested in the customer, their world, and their problems. Yeah, Genuinely interested. Transparent, I think, is another thing that we don't often see in salespeople. Well, listen, I'm going to mention no names, but there was a sales meeting this week. <laughs> right? Somebody came to see me. I knew he was going to say that. They're in a sales meeting with me, and after... 30 minutes of dialogue and me trying to work out bloody costs and what this thing meant, etc. It was confusing. I asked a question back to the salesperson who then decided after 30 minutes to respond with, well, listen, Martin, I'm going to be completely honest with you now. Ouch. And I thought, so wow. what have you been with me up until this point? Correct. And and then and then they hit me with two further costs that had not been discussed so far in the process, Absolutely. which made me believe yeah. that if I'd not have asked, would have told you that would have been dropped on Absolutely. last minute. So that's a classic mistake, right? No transparency around things up front, and it only led me to 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 retract from that that particular you know salesperson. So just let me add to that as well. This particular person, if it's who I think it was. Had a sharp haircut, 
sharp suit, sharp suit shoes, and a sharp mouth. And talked about their products and service for the entire 30 minutes. Walked into the office and made (laughs) us look at him, and it was all about him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So focused on the prospect, 100%, inquisitive about them and their world. Um, Something we talk about all the time in all different uh, scenarios to do with any kind of communication where we're dealing with people is absolutely seek to understand rather than Demands to be understood. Ask to, to reply, yeah, absolutely. And that's a classic Stephen Covey saying, isn't it? Seek to understand 100%. before you demand to be understood. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You've got to ask those questions and understand the answers rather than just prepare an answer that you think is about to come. Um, 80-20 rules I've mentioned. Uh, and, and just if you always go into a sales meeting, remembering that it's absolutely about the customer and not about me, I think people will just have a different approach and it will almost ooze out of them. They're interested in the client, the customer, the prospect, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, awesome. Love that, Dave. With a with a minute left, I think we've just come in on time. Uh, salespeople listening to this, sales managers listening to this, just think about it, just reflect. We all get a lot of training on our products and services when we join companies. Or I say a lot, <laughs> but some more than others. But we all get trained on, on how to sell the product. Some organizations are doing a lot more on the methodology of uncovering pain points than others, but just have that general feeling, that general aura about you that it's all about the customer. We need to go on that mission of discovery. We need to ask very few, if any, close questions. Ask open questions and then proceed to probe one or two times so you can clarify understanding, so you can dig a bit deeper. Once you've asked a few open and probing questions, move on to a different type of question. What are the challenges around achieving this? Mm. Open and probing questions. And then towards the end, the anxiety question, what would be the repercussions or, mm. or the effect, mm. the impact of not solving this? Absolutely. Right? And uh, and some of Dave's tips at the end. So, Dave, I think that's been useful. I'm sure people will get some value from that and just reflect. Uh, we will be back, as always, with more sales content on the Hub. And... Um, other than that, Dave, I really enjoyed that, mate, and I think it's actionable. And uh, I'm guessing we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast. Absolutely, we will. Dave Pendleton, thank you very much. Thanks a bunch.